Thank you for praying with me. Tonight's message, I've given the title of a universal cross. A universal cross. And as an introduction to this message tonight, I I would like to say that for me personally, I believe in seven basic foundational principles when it comes to spirituality. And of course, there are others that attend these seven, but in a general sense, I'd like to read to you these seven fundamental principles. Number one, I believe that the Bible is God's inspired word of absolute truth to mankind. I believe that the Bible is the only source of authority for those who truly are seeking after the God of heaven. Number two, I believe that the Bible teaches that God literally exists in the form of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that God created all things. I really believe that with all my heart, especially coming from the background that I've come from. Number three, I believe that the Bible teaches that sin entered humanity, bringing separation from God and ultimately the death penalty upon the human race, because the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, right? All right. Number four, as a result, mankind must be saved from both sin's penalty and sin's power in order to be reconciled to a holy God. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. Number five, some will choose to be saved and receive eternal life with God. But number six... Others will choose not to be saved and suffer an eternal death from God, which basically means that they will be destroyed. Okay? And then finally, number seven, Christ has brought salvation from both sin's penalty and power by dying on the cross of Calvary for all people. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to kind of unpack this seventh principle. I realize that that's kind of a mouthful, all seven together. And, of course, there are other attendant principles that would extend from those seven. But what I would like to discuss tonight is this seventh principle. I believe that the Bible teaches these seven principles very clearly, but I want to focus on this last principle of the fact that Christ died on the cross for all people. The reality, friends, of the cross shows us That Jesus died for every person who has ever lived and will ever live. Now, I want to say something, and I want you to understand this. There is a certain belief in Christian circles today, and I've even seen it to be creeping into Seventh-day Adventism, my, my specific church, of the belief that Jesus only died for those who will be saved. In other words... His death on the cross only encompassed those who would ultimately choose to accept Him, but basically the implication is is that it excludes those who will ultimately not be saved. Now, that begs a question. Did Jesus only die for those who will be saved? Is this true? Did Christ only die for those who will choose to accept Him? Now, you might think this is a very simple principle, but friends, I'm here to share with you tonight 
that this is a very, very serious subject. Because the cross is the center of the Christian religion, of the Bible religion. And at the cross, we find the author and the finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I would like to do tonight is just develop the theme about how Jesus, in fact, did not just die for those who will be saved. He died for every human being that has ever lived. Now, in my own personal study of the universal cross of Christ, I have found that three general words come to the surface with respect to the sacrifice of Christ. And there may be other words that you might find in your study or that I might discover later on, but there are three basic words in the Bible that describe Christ's sacrifice. The first word is all. Quite often we find the word all associated with Christ's sacrifice. The second word is the word world. We find the word world associated with Jesus' sacrifice. And then finally, the third word is the word every. Every. We find that term associated with the cross of Christ. Now, what I want to do for a few moments is I want to look at some verses that talk and use these three words. And I'm going to look at several texts tonight, and I hope you don't get tired of looking at these verses. I, it might be a little bit of overkill, but I want you to understand this subject because you may encounter at some point this belief that Jesus only died for those who will be saved, which is not, absolutely not true from the Bible. Okay? Now, let's go to 1 Timothy. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy Chapter 2. Now we're going to look at several verses tonight, so just bear with me for a few moments because it's the evangelist in me getting out, coming out and wanting to look at some Bible text tonight uh, on this subject because this is so important and I hope that you mark these down because these are very powerful scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 2 beginning there in verse 1. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Very interesting. Verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Notice in that one passage alone, three different times the apostle articulates very clearly that Jesus died for all people. And thus we should pray for all people because the Holy Spirit of God is striving to save all people. Alright? Now, here's another scripture in John chapter 12. Bear with me because I want to look at several verses on this. I, I don't want you to get sick of this. But I want you to bear with me because I believe this is so important that we understand. John 12, verse 32. John 12, verse 32. John 12, verse 32. 
Now, Jesus says this very clearly. He says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Right? We all know that verse, at least those of us who are students of the Bible. We understand that Jesus died on the cross to draw all men to him. Now, let's jump down to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Very clear passage here, talking about Adam and the fall, and then, of course, Christ and his sacrifice. Romans 5, verse 18, it says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under the justification of life. Now, there are different spins on this verse by different people that have different perspectives. But at the very minimum, I think we would agree that through Jesus, the potential of justification to be experienced by all people came through his sacrifice. And so we're very clear on this, that Jesus died for all. Here's another scripture in 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Again, I want you to bear with me on this because these are very, very clear Bible verses on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which, which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So again, two times in this text, Jesus died for all. Now, one final scripture on the word all, down in Isaiah. We'll go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, and we'll look there in verse 6. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. And in case any of you are getting worried, I've only got seven more verses to turn to. All right? Isaiah 53, verse 6. And of course, Isaiah 53 is an Old Testament prophecy that foreshadowed the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. And it foretold several hundred years before he actually became, you know, became incarnate and became the Messiah um, that Jesus would become a a sacrifice for sin. Verse 6, Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Very clear, friends. So we should understand very clearly the scope, the universal scope of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Now, I want to take a moment to look at the word world. All right, just for a moment, let's go back to the Gospel of John. I want to look at the concept of the world. Jesus dying for the world, showing the cosmic universal scope of the cross. John chapter 1, verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. Now this is John the Baptist who was a forerunner of Christ. John was called by God 
to prepare the way for Jesus' first coming, to get the nation of Israel ready to receive the Messiah. And notice in verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, if you jump down two chapters to John 3, verse 16, John 3, verse 16, John 3, verse 16, very well-known verse, most of us probably have it memorized, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Again, just further evidence to show the universal scope of the cross. Jump down to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, bear with me. I don't want you to lose momentum. I'm just trying to give you some scriptures to, to really contemplate on this subject. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. 2 Corinthians 5, right there in verse 19. It says, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So right here we see that God was in Christ reconciling the world, right? And we could unpack that text for a while. I don't have time to really get into that right now. But we could chew on that verse and, and really get some insight on that. But again, we see the concept of the world. One more verse on the world, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right? Have you had enough scripture already? No? Praise God! I'm excited. All right. Now, two more texts on every. Let's look at the word every. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. There's something about God's word, friends. When you get into the word... It is absolutely life-changing. I, I believe with all my heart, friends, I, I believe that my soul has been literally transformed by the power of God through His Word, and I'm so thankful for that. So I love getting into the Bible, and I would encourage you to do the same. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. Now this gets a little bit more pointed, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And then it goes on to say, For it became him for whom all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. 
Right there, the Bible says that Jesus tasted death for every man. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute because we're going to talk about that death that Jesus suffered on the universal cross in just a moment. But we want to jump back to Romans. This is our final scripture on this, and then I've just got one more text after that, after I develop some other thoughts here. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 3. Romans chapter 12, and there in verse 3. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For I say... Through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, what does that mean? In the immediate context, it's talking about spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to believers in Jesus. But you know what? I believe that God has gifted every person. And I believe there's another way we can look at this text in that God has dealt a measure of faith to every human being. Meaning that every person has a faith potential. And if they choose to follow Jesus, that faith potential will be realized. Which means that God has placed within the heart of every person the potential to have faith as God leads them to the universal cross to find salvation. Notice, friends, it becomes very clear from the Bible that Jesus died for all people, for the whole world, for every person, past, present, and future, whether they will be saved or unsaved, whether they will accept His sacrifice or not. Friends, I'm telling you right now, there are different teachings that are creeping into Christian circles that deny this reality. And I want to say something about the death of Christ. I've had some people tell me that Jesus died an atoning death. And and that is true. But you know what? It goes much deeper than that. In the Bible, in case there are people here that don't know this, in the Bible, the Bible implies two types of deaths. One is implied as the first death. Now, when Adam and Eve, in the beginning, sinned against the Creator, they were separated from the tree of life. And the tree of life contained fruit that if ingested would perpetuate immortality through the power of God. But because they sinned, God separated and severed their access from the tree of life, so then man began the aging process. He could no longer perpetuate immortality by having access to the tree because he had been cut off. Therefore, man began the aging process, which we understand, thus leading to the first death. Okay? Now, the Bible in Revelation chapter 20 also talks about a, quote-unquote, second death. And that second death is the penalty for sin. And that is basically an eternal death from which basically there is no resurrection. Because when God finally deals with all the people that have chosen to reject Christ as their Savior... He allows them to suffer what is called the second death. And basically that is a hellfire death where sinners are blotted from the face of existence and never resurrected again. Now, I believe on the cross of Calvary, Jesus suffered the spiritual equivalent of the collective second death penalty for every person that has ever lived. 
Will you consider that? Not just an individual second death. Because if a sinner goes into hellfire to suffer that death, that sinner is only going to basically um, suffer the penalty for his own sin. But when you look at Jesus on the cross, he suffered the collective, accumulative, if that's a word, second death of every single person. Now that is a heavy concept to consider. That means that for every one of you and me, Jesus suffered our death on the cross. He took our place in hell. And sure, he didn't literally go, in, go into the fires of hell, obviously. But I'm talking about the spiritual equivalent. And keep in mind, sin separates from God. And when Jesus was on the cross, he endured such a separation from God that because his mind and his heart were bearing the sins of the world, he could not see through his own resurrection. In other words, that chasm of sin looked so broad and deep that, that basically his heart exploded. He couldn't handle, I mean, the stress of sin caused his heart to explode on the cross. So he died from a broken heart from the collective weight of the sins of the world. Now that is a theme that is worthy of, of, of deep contemplation. And I believe, as I've been discussing with, with, with some friends in, in, in our meetings here, that's a theme that we are going to study out through the ceaseless ages of time when we see heaven one day by the grace of God and we will never exhaust that theme. That is an eternal theme that we will med meditate upon forever. But as it relates to right now, friends, consider this. Jesus died for you and me. Personally. And as I said this morning, if you were the only person that would ever be saved, Jesus would have come and done what he did just for you. So if you think that God does not care about you, or you think that God is some aloof God that sits down in the corner of the universe and has no concern about planet Earth, think again. Because Jesus had you on his mind when he went through the collective second death of a lost race. Now, having said those things, does that mean that all people will be saved? Does that mean that universalism, which is the teaching that eventually even Satan himself will be converted, does that mean that's a valid option? No, because there's a little wrinkle in this whole thing, and that wrinkle is called what I've been emphasizing all week, free moral agency. You see, Jesus died to draw us there, and then he leaves us free to choose. We have to choose to experience salvation, we have to choose to be saved from sin. And unfortunately, some, and yea, even the vast majority of humans throughout human history, will choose to reject that gift. But I pray tonight, friends, that we will choose to be saved from sin by looking to the universal cross. As a healthy side note, some have asked me, what is sin? Now, some have told me, sin is separation from God. I'm here to inform you that sin is not separation from God. Sin results in separation from God. But the essence of sinning is defined in the Bible as the transgression of the law of God, i.e., the Ten Commandments of God. Sin is not relative. Sin is absolutely defined by the Bible as the violation of of God's law, the Ten Commandments. And friends, 
Basically, because we have a sinful nature, because of Adam's fall, we've inherited a fallen nature that is prone to sin. And that's why salvation through Christ must be made a reality. Because we need to be saved from both sin's penalty and from the power of sin in our lives. That's how salvation works. You know, most of the time when we look at the cross, we think that that Jesus' death met the penalty of sin. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus' death did not just meet the penalty for sin, it also is the source of power so that when we are spiritually regenerated, we we are empowered by God to live a life of victory. That means that sin no more has dominion over us. That is the power of the universal cross. It is all-powerful because there's no sin in our lives that is too strong for Jesus to bring us through and help us to get victory over. If we say that some sin in our life is too strong to overcome, we are saying that Satan is more powerful than God. And that's not happening according to Christ's gospel. Now, I want to show you a verse that I have found to be incredibly powerful on this subject. And in case you're worried, this is our last verse tonight, all right? Titus chapter 2. I love this verse. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Beginning there in verse 11. And this, this is a perfect capstone text to our subject tonight. Titus chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 11 down to verse 14. Check this out. This is an incredible verse. I love this text. I've tried to commit this text to memory. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. Now notice what it says in verse 11. For the grace of God... And the implication there is Christ, all right, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. There again is the universal scope of salvation, right? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Notice right there, the grace of God that brings salvation to all has appeared to to all men, basically. And it goes on to the text to say that, look, that grace can redeem us from all iniquity. The cross of Christ brings the power of God into the lives of those who surrender to Jesus. Bringing us into a situation where, where we are more than conquerors over sin. And the Bible is loaded with with texts on victory in Christ. We do not serve a defeated Savior. We serve a victorious, conquering Savior. Unto Him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the throne of glory, etc. You know, in Jude 24, he talks about that. In Ephesians 3.20, unto Him that that is able to give and do abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. You see, over and over the Bible talks about victory in Jesus. Because through the universal cross, we are not just saved from sin's penalty in a legal sense. The cross brings the power of the Spirit of God into us and replicates the life of Christ in us so that we live Jesus' life. 
And the biggest curse that Christians have brought to the world today is a failure of living the life of Jesus. Friends, we've got we've to understand that the whole point of redemption is to replicate Jesus' life in us. You know, I read a book written by a man named Hart. And this is, this is not a criticism. This is just a reality that stings a little bit. But I, I read a book by, by Hart called The 100 Most Influential People in History. And in this book, what he does is he takes 100 people and he ranks them from 1 to 100 as far as their influence in human history. One being the greatest influence, etc. Guess who is number one in the book? What's that? No one wants to say anything. Mohammed. Number two was Isaac Newton. And number three was Jesus. And you know, in this book, he writes a chapter on each person. And in the chapter on Jesus, he basically said, in so many words, and I'm going to summarize, that the reason why he did not rank Christ number one is because of the failure of his followers to live his life. Now, that kind of stung me when I read that. And, and in the context, it's talking about unconditional love, loving your friends as well as your enemies. He talks about that in this, in this particular chapter. But, but friends, what we've got to realize is the universal cross means everything to us. Our hearts can't even beat without the cross of Calvary. Acts 17 says, in Jesus we live and move and breathe and have our being. Even the heathen who have never accepted Jesus, so to speak, are living because the cross is a present reality. And we've got to understand that this means everything to us. On the cross, Jesus suffered our penalty for sin. And through that sacrifice, friends, He wants to descend upon us and give us His life so that we not only receive forgiveness from the penalty of sin, but we receive divine power through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to come into the life of the believer and transform the life. I'll never forget, my mother was baptized a year after I was. About 13 months after I was. And this is not to exalt me, but I'll tell you right now, she knew what I was before my conversion. And she stood up on the Sabbath of her baptism in Lake City at the Lake City Seventh Adventist Church. She said, you know, uh, I saw what this gospel message did to my son. I know what he was before. He was bleep, bleep, bleep. You know how it goes, right? But I see him now, and I knew there must be something to it if it could change him. You know, and, and, and friends, listen. That is the greatest testimony of Christianity to the world. Because listen, we can't literally see God right now. We are veiled from the unseen world. So how do people see God through us? And we can only reveal God as we live Jesus' life. Because remember, Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen God, has seen the Father. And so through our testimony... Jesus is revealed to the world. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel of Christ's universal cross to bring both forgiveness for sin and, div and divine power to be purified from sin so that we reflect Jesus' life to the world. Because the world needs a revelation of Christ. Lost souls are all around us, friends. Maybe they, even there are some sitting next to us tonight. I don't know. I don't know many of you. But friends, what the world needs is a revelation of Jesus in us. 
to testify of the transforming power of God's Spirit upon us. You know, my mother, when she was coming to Christ and learning to be a Christian, she struggled with an unbelievable gin addiction. I mean, gin ruled her life. She would drive by a liquor store and the smell would tempt her. And she was telling me about how one night she was, she was reading and, and she felt this overwhelming temptation to go and have some. And, 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 and God impressed her to go and dump all the liquor out of, you know, pour it down the toilet because you don't put temptation in front of your face. Amen? Right? And so she poured it all out. But when she went back into her room, she still was struggling with this addiction. And she said that she came to the point where she fell on her face on the floor and said, God, I cannot kick this habit. I need you to help me. I need you to change me because I cannot break this addiction. And she said in that moment of time, there came a peace in her soul. And at that moment, she received victory over that addiction and never, by the grace of God, touched it again. You see, that's the power of God, friends. Before I came to Christ, I used to be able to curse like a sailor, quote unquote. Forgive me if there's any sailors in here. I have great respect for our military, all right? Great respect for our military. We need to pray for them because they're doing a good work. Whether we agree with our government's policies or not, we need to pray for our military. But nevertheless, you know, I, I used to have a filthy mouth, and, and I prayed and prayed for years before I actually was rebaptized. I can remember growing up as a Christian, I had a filthy mouth, and, and of course I left the Lord in that interim that I shared with you last night. But I would pray, God, why do I curse so much? But when I was reconverted, it was like I woke up from one day to the next, and it was gone. Again, the work of the Holy Spirit changing us and giving us victory. Friends, there's no sin in our lives that God cannot help us to overcome through the power of Christ. You know, I, I can remember when I started my evangelistic ministry. Um, I held an evangelistic series in Live Oak, Florida. And what was interesting is on night number five of this meeting, I was preaching. And I went over a particular point of doctrine during this meeting, and one of my own church members stood up in the back and began to challenge me from the floor in my own evangelistic meeting. Hey, hey, listen, here's a little secret. Don't do that, all right? Pull him aside after if you have a concern and deal with him one-on-one. Well, he stood up and began to challenge me, and, and I was like, you know, my flesh started to rise, and I was like, Lord, Oh, man, I can't believe he's doing that. And it was almost like God sent down a cocoon or something and just locked me into position and then closed my mouth. And he began to say his spiel. And then when he was done, I said, well, thank you very much for that comment, sir. And he goes, go ahead then. You may proceed. Just really arrogantly. And I was like, and in my mind, I'm thinking, who are you? I mean, this is my meeting. I'm the evangelist, all right? Who are you to challenge me? But you know what? In that moment, God gave me victory. But you know what? I let go of that because right after the meeting was over, God bless, shaking hands, you know, God bless you, take care. And in my, in my eye, I'm looking at this guy out there, and I'm, I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind because I'm, I'm coming into junior Holy Spirit status, you know? And, and I see him out there, and one of my friends grabbed me and said, Mark, I know what you're going to do. Don't go out there. Don't walk around the tree of knowledge. And I said, well, sorry, I'm in charge of my own program. I'm going to go tell him what I think. And I went out there, and I verbally accosted this man. I, I didn't. I didn't curse but I jumped all over him you know and then I drove home that night and I woke up a church member to get his phone number I called him on the phone and chewed him out some more that night and I and I and friends I lost I lost my cool I mean I let hold I, I let go of my hold on God and 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 I just blew up at him on the phone and 
And when I hung up the phone, I, you know, I had a chance to calm down a little bit, and God began to speak to my mind, but there was a knock on my door. My father comes in. He said, son, was that you? I said, yeah. And he said, who are you talking to? I said, a church member. <laughs> and he said, well, so that's how you Christians treat each other, huh? I was like, whoo, because my father, was, he's not a Christian. But praise the God, he's been coming to church the last two months with my mom. I, I just found out, so keep praying for my father. But, but nevertheless, it, I, I realized that, that, that God wanted to give me victory. And what's interesting is a couple of years later, the same thing happened to me again. I was in an evangelistic meeting, and again, a church member, God bless him, stood up and began to challenge me. And, and, I, and I sat there, and I was just like, let him do his thing. And then, you know, some of the church ushers got up and ushered him out. And, uh, and, and, then, I, and, then, and then I drove home that night, and, and I had, by that time I was married, and my wife said, you know, Mark, did you see what happened? I said, well, yeah, I was there. And she said, well, no, you didn't go to him and blow up. God gave you victory. You didn't lose your cool. You just took it on the chin, so to speak. And when he was removed, you just went on like nothing happened. And you made an altar call, and people came forward making decisions to follow Jesus and be baptized. God gave you a victory. Praise God for our spouses. The buddy system works, right? But you know what? I did end up going to that brother, and I, and I pled with him. I said, brother, how could you do that to me? What have I ever done to you to make you treat me like that? And he, he repented. He just said, Mark, he said, what can I say? The devil used me in that minute of time, and I, I'm really sorry about that. I won't do that again. I said, well, I hope not. Uh, but, you know, the Lord blessed us with souls in that meeting. But, but don't you see? I, I, I know I'm going on all these tangents of illustrations and everything, but the point is, is that, friends, God wants to give us victory. God wants us to experience the universal scope of his sacrifice on the cross through Jesus. And we can see very clearly that Jesus died for all people. I mean, you heard my testimony last night, most of you. you I mean, I fainted in my first sermon, and God gave me victory on public speaking because I couldn't even get up and give a speech, collapsing, waking up in an ambulance. But now I can actually stand before you and not sweat too much, even though my hands are a little clammy right now. But again, it's Jesus empowering us to get victory over things that beset us in life. And I'm here to tell you that that's the power of a universal cross. Given what we've discussed this evening, as we come to a close, I, wanna, I want you to understand some very important truths and realities tonight. Number one, I want you to understand that Jesus died for you personally. Personally. Number two, I want you to understand that he personally took all of your sins on his universal cross. Number three, I want you to understand that he desires to save you from the penalty of your sins by offering you forgiveness and pardon freely through his sacrifice. If you are weighted down with the burdens of your sins and of your mistakes in your past, Jesus offers you a sweet release. He can remove that burden from you just as easily as he healed the paralytic and said, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Because so many people today are spiritually paralyzed by their past. And as I said this morning, time travel hasn't been invented yet. So we can't go back and change. But if we want release, Jesus offers it freely. Number four, Jesus also desires to save us from the power of our sins by giving us victory through 
uh, his universal cross. And finally, number five, the only thing that remains is this. Again, we must choose to receive this cross into our lives. You and I must personally choose to receive that cross. And so as you consider your thoughts tonight, will you choose to receive it? And it brings all the blessings in its train, friends, not just a few, all. It brings the fullness of the power of God into our lives. And if you want that power, you are only one choice away. But the question remains, and I know I've probably said this to the point where you're probably sick of hearing it, but you've got to choose. We all have to choose. And I pray by the grace of God that we will choose the universal cross tonight. Would you kneel with me in prayer as we appeal and pray to the Lord? Father in heaven, tonight we see very clearly that your son Jesus died for all people whether saved or unsaved. And Lord, tonight we see that we are just one choice away from receiving that power into our lives. I pray tonight, Lord, that every person in this room, in the quietness of their own heart, would make the decision to surrender their lives to you, to receive the cross of Christ in the soul, to take it in in a spiritual sense, to submit and yield to the great power that Christ's universal cross brings, to receive the beautiful forgiveness of sin and the sweet release from the guilt of our past. But going even further, Lord, to receive the fullness of God and the power of God in, in the life so that they can get the victory over sin in the areas that they need it. Lord, please help us to experience this tonight. This is the foundation of the entire Christian religion. Help us to experience this foundation. And I pray as we leave this place tonight, Lord, and go back to the busyness of our lives. Some of us might go home. Others may go study. Some of us may even have class or meetings or whatever the case may be. Lord, I pray that... that regardless of whatever we go out that door to face tonight, that these thoughts that we have discussed would be written in our hearts and that we would never, ever forget them. And going even further, may we experience them. Thank you for loving us and for doing everything you can to save us. Thank you for being in Christ, reconciling the world unto yourself. Bless us now with the presence of your Spirit as we leave this place. And keep us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.